we've got a brand new series we're going to kick off tonight called Follow the Leader. And the whole idea behind this series is going to be five weeks of us looking at this story in the Old Testament called the Exodus. Now, if you've been in church before or for a while, you might have heard this story before. It's about this guy and this nation and kind of what God does in their midst and what he brings them out of. And the guy that we're going to be talking about specifically tonight, his name is Moses. And you probably have heard of him if you've, again, been around church at all. He's the guy who came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He's the guy who God used to part the Red Sea. He is the guy who wrote the whole beginning of the Bible. Uh, He was used by God in a whole lot of different ways. And so we're going to talk about Moses tonight. And we're going to talk about what God does with the nation of Israel. So his people in the Old Testament, they're, they're who you kind of follow through the Old Testament. And you see what God does for them, with them. And we're going to start to see some of that stuff tonight as well. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4 tonight. So if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to be. If you don't... I'm going to be throwing the verses up on the screen just for us to wrap our minds around this story a little bit. But before we get into the actual story, sometimes I like to ask a question before we jump in just to get us thinking. So my question is this. Has anybody in the room ever been insecure before? Yeah? About anything. Insecure. If you're like, what does that mean? Look it up. It's not a hard one. Insecure. Like you're... You don't feel confident about something. You don't feel secure about something. It could be about the way you look, the way you think, the amount that you studied for that test. It could be uh, a conversation that you want to have with somebody and you're really insecure about it. It could be um, all kinds of different things. But insecurity is one of those things that all of us experience. You could be a sixth grader or you could be 70 years old and you experience some degree of insecurity like it just happens to all of us and it happens to us our entire life these moments of being insecure and there's a lot of insecurity in the story that we're going to look at tonight Um, when I was in middle school I remember almost every day being huge moments of insecurity for me like what are people going to do When they see my outfit, like that was the thing I stressed about a lot, like my outfit. What are people going to do about this new haircut I just got? How many comments am I going to hear about my my haircut? Once I got braces, like what are people going to do when they see I got braces on? What are people going to do about these new glasses I just got? How are people going to respond to the fact that I just tripped in the lunchroom right now? Does it, does, is there always applause whenever that happens in the lunchroom? Is that still going on? Yeah, okay. That's, that's been going on for a long time. When I was in school, you hear a, a, a tray hit the ground, and automatically everybody's just like, yeah, way to go. So there's all of these moments like throughout every day in middle school that I remember, and, and I can just think of like, man, I felt insecure then, I felt insecure then, I felt insecure then, I felt insecure then. And so this story really, I think, addresses a lot of the mentalities and the things that we deal with in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Like, it, it just is 
the part of life where we seem to be really insecure about a lot of things. Why is that? Well, because we're figuring things out. Like you guys are figuring a lot of stuff out right now. You're extremely smart. You're continuing to get smarter and smarter. You're continuing to literally get taller and taller. And you're learning all kinds of things about yourself, about the world, about your friends, who's really your friend, who's really not your friend. And so it can feel really chaotic at times in middle school. It can feel very like like you don't have what you need to succeed in middle school. Like you need something else. You need that whatever it is. You need to be smarter. You need to be taller. You need to look better. You need to whatever. You can feel that way all the time in middle school. And so just know Moses can relate to you. Because this guy dealt with insecurity a lot. And it comes out in this conversation that he has with God. And so the very first thing we're going to look at is Exodus chapter 3. The first three verses just to kind of set up this conversation. Okay, And this is what we see in those first three verses. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So Moses is out with the sheep. He's out herding animals. And when you do that, you're alone. It's just you and the animals. And all of a sudden, he sees this bush on fire. And yet, there's no smoke. Like, it's not burning up. It's just on fire, yet nothing's happening to the bush. And I I love the way I laugh sometimes when I read the Bible. I don't know if you ever do that. But I think it's funny that the Bible says, Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. (laughs) Who talks like that? Who thinks like that? I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. This bush that doesn't burn up. Like, I feel like that's this. So, I don't know. No one thinks or says stuff like that. But this is what Moses is thinking. I'm going to go see this strange thing, which is totally strange and weird. No one sees a bush, like a bush burn up, but yet not burn up. A bush. What's a bush? Um, and so he's going to go check it out. I think any one of us, if we were in this situation, hanging out with a bunch of animals, we're kind of bored and we're alone, and we see this crazy thing that no one ever sees, a fire that's not burning up whatever it's on, we would go check it out. Would you agree with me on that? You would go check this out. You would probably go want to see what's going on. So this is what Moses is doing. He's going to investigate this bush that's on fire. So this is what happens. Um, He realizes this is God. How does he realize this is God? Because God says, this is me. He says, it's me. And this is where we're going to pick up the conversation in verse 7. It says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses walks over to this bush that's on fire, but yet not, and he's like, 
very confused, I'm sure, trying to figure out what's going on. And then all of a sudden he hears a voice come out of this bush. Telling him, this is holy ground, take off your shoes. And then God begins to have a conversation with him. And this is what he lays out in this conversation. I know what's going on in Egypt. Now what's interesting about this is so does Moses. Anybody know where Moses came from before he was herding animals out in the wilderness for his father-in-law? Egypt, exactly. He came from Egypt because he was raised in Egypt. Anybody know who he was raised by? Yeah, the family of the Pharaoh. Like, he was raised in the palace. He was raised there. He knows exactly what's going on with Israel because he lived there. He saw how Israel was being treated. He saw how his people were being treated because Moses was found in a river. His parents had to send him down the river to protect him. He gets found by Pharaoh's family, is raised there, and then eventually leaves because he kills an Egyptian guard trying to protect somebody who was being beaten. One of the Israelites who was being beaten. So now he goes out into the wilderness. He meets a lady. He gets married. Now he's tending the flock of his father-in-law. So when God tells him this stuff, he doesn't have to give a bunch of backstory to, to Moses and be like, hey, you know, I know you're out here with all the animals. You might not know what's going on in Egypt. There's this thing called slavery going. Tell him anything about it other than I know what's going on. Just because I know you know what's going on too. We both know what's going on. There's a problem and I'm going to fix it. There's a problem and I'm going to fix it. So God acknowledges what's going on in Egypt and he tells Moses, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to take the people out of this stuff, out of the slavery. I'm going to free them. I'm going to take them to this new land, this spacious and it's flowing with milk and honey, which just sounds like a cereal commercial or something, right? Like Honey Nut Cheerios. I don't know. <laughs> a rabid fan of Honey Nut Cheerios is out there. And so it's got to be a good place where he's going to take them. So God's going to solve this problem. He's going to solve the problem of his people. He's going to get them out of the slavery. He's going to take them to a much better place. And so this is what he's telling Moses. So then you jump down to the next few verses. And it says this, so now go, I am sending you, and he's talking to Moses. This is God talking to Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So God lays out this plan of, hey, listen, I know what's going on. It's bad stuff. I'm going to free my people. And the, the way I'm going to do that is you. I'm sending you. To go talk to Pharaoh to get my people out of slavery. And Moses' immediate response is, wait, 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 but um, who am I? Like, why should I be the one to go bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Anybody sense any kind of uh, feeling in that response? Maybe he's scared, I heard someone say. Maybe he's insecure about his ability to fulfill this plan. I think both those are going on. I mean, 
he was raised there. Another reason he might be a little bit skeptical, skeptical about going back is the reason he had to leave, right? He had to leave because he killed a guard. Like, he might be scared of dying if he goes back. What might happen to him if he goes back? So he's like immediately like, wait, 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 what, what, what me? Not me. I mean, maybe someone, uh, not me, you know? So let's keep reading this conversation. I love knowing that this is a conversation between Moses and God in front of this bush that's on fire, but not on fire. Okay, remember that's what's going on. Out in the middle of the wilderness, no one's around, but Moses and some animals and God in a bush. This is just, I want to see a movie of this. And I feel like it would be like part comedy and part drama. I don't know. But that's what's going on right now, okay? So let's skip down to the next few verses. It says, and God said, so this is his response to Moses' not me. Like, are you sure? Like, not me. This is what God says. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that is Uh, That it is I who sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So he's like, listen, no, 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 I'm going to be with you. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to worry what's going to happen to you. You don't don't have to worry if you're the right one for the job. I'm going to be with you. What's Moses' response? Well, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So he's already just kind of throw out the blanket like, well, not really me, God. And God's been like, no, 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 it's you. And I'm going to go with you. So it's all good. He's like, okay, okay, fine. But what if they question me? Like, I say you sent me. And they're like, yeah, okay, well, then what's his name? Okay, I mean, I guess that's a good question. So here's what God says to that in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. This is the first time God names himself. So this is revered and talked about as the most holy name of God. I am. And so when you read the New Testament, there's this moment where Jesus says I am, which is why it's such a big deal because he's saying I am God. Which is why people immediately started to pick up rocks and wanted to stone him because they thought he was a blasphemer, which means he's like a big liar about who God is. And that's why this is such a big deal, this name. But this is where he gives himself a name. And I love the name, not just because God gave it to himself, but when you look at what he's saying, he's saying, I am that I am. Another way to look at that is, I will be who I will be. You can't put me in a box. Like, you're not going to just give me just a name of, like, the mighty lion or something like that. Because now I'm just, I'm just hampered in by what a lion is. You can't just say I'm, like, the mightiest man to ever be. Because now I'm just hampered in by, like, what it is to be a man. So to just say I am who I am. And I am sent, sent me. I mean, that's like... God just showing off his grandness, his godness. Like, it's really the name that makes the most sense, which would make sense because he named himself. 
And so this is what he tells Moses to tell the people of Israel. Tell them, I am sent you. And to say that is like, okay, well, that makes sense. That's like the only name that would really make sense for you. To give you any other name would not be a good enough name. So that's what I'm supposed to say to them, and then that actually will make sense. So here's how Moses answers that in the first verse of chapter 4. He says, what if they don't believe me or listen they, they won't listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. So he's like, fine, okay, you gave me your name. Now I can tell them your name. But then what if they don't believe me? Even then, what if they question if I've been with you, if you've actually talked to me? So then here's what God says to that. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Moses answers, it's a staff. He replied, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. <laughs> now, can we just pause for a second? Remember, you've got to visualize this is really happening, okay? This isn't just some storybook, all right? So God is talking with Moses at a burning bush that isn't burning. And he's, Moses keeps arguing with God like, what if, what if, what if? I don't know. Ah, okay, what if they don't believe me? Okay, what's in your hand? It's a staff. Okay, throw it on the ground. Okay, fine. And as soon as he throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake. And Moses runs. It's like, ah! like, and he like runs away from his staff that he just threw on the ground. I'm imagining he's screaming like a two-year-old little boy or something. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that would be funnier if that's the way it was. And it doesn't say he didn't do that. So I'm going to say that's what he did. And, and it's just funny to picture what's going on in this whole scene, right? And so Moses throws down his staff. It turns into a snake. He runs from it because he's scared of a snake, which I would do the exact same thing, by the way. I hate snakes. There was this one time where a, uh, a little snake was in a bush in front of our house. And it wasn't on fire. God wasn't there speaking. Uh, it was just a normal bush. And I was looking. At, for some reason, I was on the front porch or I was looking out the window or something. And I see just this little head kind of go, whoop, and out of the bush and just kind of look around freaked me out for a week like I had nightmares for a week it was just like a little snake like this long but I saw a little head of a snake and I'm just like they're everywhere it's like a python the thing is huge it's an anaconda it's probably wrapped around our house it's gonna eat me at night literally it was this big but I hate snakes so I would have ran just like Moses did um but this is what happens after that then the Lord said to him reach out your hand and take it by the tail. If I'm Moses, I'm, I might have a hard time being obedient in that moment. I'd be like, that's a snake. <laughs> I don't want to touch it. And so I'm imagining Moses had to come back to where the snake was, where his staff was, because he had run away, right? So I don't know if God's like having to yell because he's far away from the bush now. He's like, hey. Come back and pick it up by the tail. So I don't know how long that took. If, if he like went the long way around and he's just kind of like eyeballing the thing, like trying to figure out his approach. And he's just like uh, eventually sneaking up on that thing and then trying to go for the tail. I don't know how it went down. I'm telling you, I would have had a hard time with it. But as soon as Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, it turned back into a staff in his hand. So... He throws staff down, turns into a snake, he runs away. God says, pick it back up. He grabs it by the tail, it turns right back into a staff. 
He tells Moses to do one other thing. We're not going to read it, but I'll tell you what happens. He also says, hey, put your hand in your cloak. So he puts his hand in his cloak. And he says, okay, now pull it back out. He pulls his hand back out and his hand has leprosy. Now that doesn't mean anything to us today because leprosy is not a thing anymore because we have cures for that. But it means your, your skin and your flesh is like deteriorating. And so it looks like there's scabs all over it. It's like white and flaky. And so he pulls his arm out and that's what his hand and arm look like. Just like massive sores and scabs and flaky skin and all that stuff. Then he says, okay, put your hand back in, your cloak. He puts it back in and pulls it back out and it looks completely normal again. So he does these two things with Moses to give him ammunition, to give him the tools that he thinks he needs to prove that God sent him. Right? Because that's what he asked. He's like, what if they don't believe me? Okay, well, here's what you can do. Throw your staff down, turn into a snake. Everybody will run just like you did. But then you can grab it by the tail and it'll turn right back into a staff. They don't believe that. You stick your hand into your, your, your coat, pull it back out. It'll be leprous. Put it back in, it'll be healed again. These will be things that will help them know that I really did send you since you're worried about that. So there's some signs. Okay, great. So then here's Moses' response to these things. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and tongue. So every time God gives Moses what he's asking for or tells him something, what does Moses come back with? An excuse, another question, another what if, another reason why this is a bad idea. Another thing he's afraid of, another thing he's insecure about, another thing. There's always another thing with Moses. And so he's like, okay, well now, okay, okay, they'll believe me that I'm from you because you gave me these signs. You've already told me your name. But, but I'm not good at like talking to people. So what about that? So here's what God says to that. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So every time Moses comes up with a question or an excuse or some reason to, to not do what God's saying, God always comes back with an answer and a provision. He always provides. Right? And so even in this, He's like, I'm not a good speaker. I don't know what to say. I'm, this, this is a bad idea. God's like, it's okay. I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to teach you. Now go. Now let's see what Moses says to that. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. So he finally just gets down to what he really was wanting to say the entire time is what it seems like. He doesn't ask a question. He doesn't give an excuse. He just basically says, please ask a question. He doesn't give an excuse. He just basically says, please let me out of this. Send someone else. So no matter what God keeps providing and the answers he keeps giving, he keeps pushing back. And we already said why he's pushing back. What are the reasons again for pushing back? Scared. Scared, Insecurity. Fear. 
These are the reasons he's pushing against what God is calling him to. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah? I think all of us can relate to that. We're going to get back to that in just a second. Okay. So he says, listen, God, will you just please send someone else? Then this is what happens. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Little side note. It's never good to make God mad. Yeah? All powerful. Knows everything. Everywhere. Don't make him mad. Okay? Um, But here's the other thing that's awesome about God. He's slow to anger. Would you agree with that statement? How many times has Moses questioned God in this conversation? (laughs) Three. Nice. Three times. Multiple times. Moses keeps questioning God. I'm thinking God's being pretty patient with this guy. I mean, he's already shown him he can turn staffs into snakes. He's given him his, his most holy name. He's speaking to him through a bush that's not on fire. Like, but it's on fire. Like, all these things are happening, yet Moses is still questioning. And God has been patient through all of it. Finally, Moses is just straight up saying, please don't send me. And God now is getting angry. Now, you could think, okay, God's getting angry, so he's about to smite him, whatever that means. He's about to, like, send down a lightning bolt and, like, strike Moses down. He's going to do something bad. Listen to what God does. Even when he's angry, this is what he does. He said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. So God, even in this moment of Moses continuing to question his plan, continue to like push against what God's leading him towards. Even when he's angry, he still gives Moses even more of what he's asking for. He gives him another person to do this with. Aaron. The guy who speaks better than than Moses does. So it helps him feel better about it. But God still is going to do the thing he said. He's still going to teach Moses. He's going to give him the words to say. But he's going to now use both of them just to help Moses feel better about this. And so this is the beginning of the Exodus story right here. This conversation. God laying out the problem. The people he loves are in slavery. He's going to do something about it and he's going to rescue them. Then he lays out what the plan is to rescue them. It involves Moses going back to Egypt. And Moses wrestling with whether or not to accept God's plan to rescue his people. So God is trying to lead his people out of Egypt, but he's also trying to lead Moses out of mediocrity, out of just staying safe and staying out in the pasture with the animals, doing really nothing. You could say he's leading him out of apathy if you wanted to say it that way. What is apathy? It's where you just don't really care anymore. You're really lazy. And you're just like, ah, whatever. Have you ever felt like that before? Like, ah, just whatever. Every day of your life. Awesome. So God's calling Moses out of that. He's like, no, 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 no. You're meant for way more than just hanging out with sheep. I want to use you for way more than that. 
And so he's trying to lead Egypt, but he's also trying to lead Moses and both of them to follow him. So here's a couple of things I want to pull out from this that I think really apply to us now. Because this story, even though it happened thousands of years ago, a lot of these same things are happening in our life even now today, right? How many of us have moments where we feel trapped? We feel like we are in our own way, like slaves to something, whether it's like a sin or a temptation to sin or the, the need to be accepted by somebody trying to get uh, to be to a certain status at school. I mean, there's all these kind of things that trap us and make us kind of feel like we can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I can't do what we really want to do. And the Bible even equates sin with slavery and, and bondage. It's like a cell that we can't get out of. And God wants to rescue us from that. And so with that, God knows you and what you're going through. If you're in that place of feeling like you're trapped, you're in bondage, you're in slavery, you can't escape this sin, this thing that God has not called you to that's hurting you or hurting other people, this thing, God knows about it. He knows about you because he made you and he loves you. And he's aware. Like he's not just turning a blind eye to it. He's not like this God that's far off and far away. He knows. But here's the big thing. He cares. Like he cares about what you're going through. There's been moments in my life where I've thought about God and for whatever reason in my mind... I think of him as this like big, mighty, awesome God. But because he's a big, awesome, mighty God and he's in heaven, like my problems don't really matter to him. Like the things I'm struggling with don't really matter to him because I'm, I'm not him. I'm not God. My problem's not massive. And he only concerns himself with the massive things, right? But that's just not true of God. That's not what we see in the Bible, We see him caring about all kinds of things, but number one is he cares about the ones that he loves, and he loves us, and so he cares about the things we're going through. So he knows what you're going through, but he also cares about what you're going through. The same way he cares about Israel in this story, and the same way he obviously cares about Moses, because he continues to give Moses these things to help him with his fear, his insecurity, the things he's really wrestling with. And so the other big thing is is what he says in the beginning of his plan. That he's going to come down to rescue Israel. And that's the same exact thing that he does for us now. He meets us where we're at to rescue us from the mess that we're in. So you guys who feel like you maybe are in this place of bondage or slavery or you're trapped... God knows about it, he cares about it, but he's going to do something about it. He's already done something about it. This is why we constantly talk about Jesus. Jesus is the freedom from sin. He is the freedom from sin that God sent down. He's the rescue plan. He's the way to get out of freedom, or to get out of slavery and into freedom, to experience the freedom. It's Jesus. And so for me and you... When we have these moments, we're like, man, I feel like I can't break free of this thing. I feel like it's just dragging me down. 
and you're looking for a way out, the way out, the freedom, the thing that's going to take the weight off, the thing that's going to break the sin is Jesus. It's what he did on the cross. It's the thing that we talked about not that long ago here in Revolution. So this whole story of the Exodus continues to point us back to Jesus and what Jesus ultimately does for all of us. But he didn't come down to rescue you just from your sin, though he totally did that. He also came down to rescue from your apathy. From those of us that are just kind of like, oh, I just don't care. Like, whatever. Like, you're not going through anything that you can pinpoint that's like this big, huge thing in your life. Like, a, whether it's a sin or a, a insecurity or a fear or whatever. Like, you don't necessarily have that going on in your life right now. But you definitely have... A case of the I don't cares. And you're like, whatever. God doesn't want you to just go through life being like, whatever. Like, eh, I don't care. Why? Because God cares. He cares about you, but he also cares about everyone else in here. And everyone else out of here. Like he cares about all of them. So he came down to rescue us from our sin and our junk and our mess and our anxiety and our depression and our things that hold us down. But he also came to free us up from the things that don't even seem like bondage sometimes. The things that don't even seem like they're holding us down. The the things that can keep us inactive. Because he is wanting to use us the same way he was wanting to use Moses to help people see and experience freedom. There's a bunch of you in this room that know Jesus. You've accepted him as your savior. You understand that he paid the penalty for sin. That he took care of that penalty of death. And he now gives us his life that he had and, and showed and experienced in the resurrection, and now we have all that, and we've experienced all that, and he's calling us out to go help other people experience that and see that and know that by the way that we act and the way that we serve people, all the things that we talked about in our last series. He is calling us out to those things. And there's a bunch of us in here that are doing the same exact thing that Moses did. It's like, yeah, but what if they think I'm weird? If I say stuff about God or like loving them and stuff. Okay, well, God's already answered that one. Just like he answered the things for Moses. The only reason that would be weird is because they don't know that stuff. They don't know God, right? And we're not really worried about that. Yeah, but what? I don't really know what to say to them. Like I don't even know how to say that God loves them. I don't even know how to talk about Jesus. Well, God already answered that one too. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You're going to have him inside of you. You can trust me. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you what to say. Yeah, okay, but what, like, what, if, you just, what if you just pick someone else? Uh, he like, already said something about that too, right? Like if we know Jesus, then there's no picking someone else. It's us. And so... I think all of us in the room can relate to some part of this story, right? We're either like Israel, we're in bondage, we're in slavery, and we need God's rescue. Or we're like Moses, where we're in bondage to insecurity and fear, and we need God to get us out of that too. But either way, whichever case, whichever place you find yourself in the story, God is just saying, follow me. 
Follow him. Because when we follow him, we find freedom. When we follow him, we find love. When we follow him, we find acceptance. When we follow him, we find life. And so this whole story, this whole series is about us following God. Israel wound up following Moses. And we're going to get into how that played out and what that looked like. And they followed Moses all around, all over the place. Moses was following God. Ultimately, the people of Israel followed God to the place that he promised, this place flowing with milk and honey, this promised land is way better than the place they're in now. And he's calling us to the same thing. He's trying to lead us somewhere better than we're at right now. Let's just focus on where is it that we're at right now? Are we stuck in some kind of sin? No. Are we stuck in some kind of sin? Are we stuck in some kind of apathy right now? Are we following God? Are we following him where he's leading? Because where he wants to lead us is somewhere better than we are right now. So then the question just becomes really easy here tonight. It's just, are you following him? Will you follow him? Because if you will, he's going to lead you to so much more than you could imagine, you could think, you could hope. You're going to get to experience things about him and about you that you never knew before. And that never ends. That never stops. You could get to 95 years old and continue to follow him and continue to learn and experience more and to be in an even better place than you've ever been before because you're following him. But you can start to experience that right now in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade with your friends at school, with your family at home, in your own personal just moments that you have just between you and God. You can follow him and you can continue to experience something better because you experience more of him.